0: Welcome to the Dissolving Fear podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa, and today I'm interviewing Casey, a wellness coach and holistic nutritionist based in San Francisco, California. Welcome, Casey. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Today we're talking about daily practices and habits that keep us balanced, healthy, and whole. Tune in and notice if anything we talk about feels true for you. You might be inspired to adopt a new healthy habit in your life or embrace self-care activities in a new way. So here we go. So Casey, I read through your website. It's a cute name, by the way.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: You're on Instagram. At your case for wellness, and that's also your website, yourcaseforwellness.com. When I read through your website, I noticed that your coaching services are called Nourish and Thrive Coaching, and I love that title because I always say that you have to nurture yourself and nourish yourself to maximize your potential. We first have to take action to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, So once we've established some good habits and created positive momentum with nourishing and nurturing ourselves, then we can actually start to thrive and maximize our potential. How did you decide on that name, Nourish and Thrive
1: Coaching? So Nourish and Thrive is the name of my private coaching container. And the reason I chose that was because nourishing isn't just about nourishment through food. It's also about nourishing really our mind, our body, and our soul. So what I found that was really missing in the overall wellness coaching space was that so much of it was focused on just about the food component and not focusing on the holistic practices that we need to do in order to feel our best. We For the most part, no, to like at least some degree, what healthy eating means and looks like. But what I found what women were really struggling with was why they didn't feel like they could stick to those healthy habits. And that really came down to overall mindset around food, that all or nothing mentality, that old diet narrative. So nourish and thrive is really an embodiment of nourishing ourselves not just with food but with community with proper support with proper education with proper self-care and really thinking about our health at a holistic level
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i totally agree that all or nothing thinking that black or white thinking it doesn't really serve us in any area of our <laughs> life <laughs> It can lead to a lot of guilt and emotions that we don't need to have around life and choices and decisions and our actions. So if you're listening out there and you feel like you have really rigid thinking around something, try to think of maybe some gray area because it might serve you better to be a little flexible.
1: I actually really love that you say that because... That is something that so many people come to me. They either feel like they're on a diet or they're off and that being healthy means they're on a diet. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. Health is not equated with weight loss. Yes, we can implement healthy practices and therefore healthfully lose weight, but we need to focus on a much more macro scale and understand that dieting doesn't equal good <laughs> and that our health efforts should not just be reduced to good versus bad. Just mm-hmm. like we shouldn't think of all food as just good versus bad. When we do that, if we say the broccoli is good, the cookie is bad. When we eat those foods, we in turn feel like we are a good or a bad person from eating those foods And that type of morality just does not do us well in terms of our mental health and in terms of our long-term success with healthy eating. Mm -hmm.
0: And I feel like that's why I want to hire you right now. Like that's that's why people need that personalized coaching because um, we can get a little bit distorted in our minds, in our mindset, and we don't even realize it. You know, like I've seen... Um, women who have and men who have all or nothing thinking like, I need to work out every day. And sometimes what might seem good can become obsessive, can become mm-hmm. too much. you can get injured. Um you know, and so sometimes we want to power through and always do what we think is the right thing, but it sometimes we need an extra third party to help us give us some
1: guidance. yeah, I love that you say that because. Something that a lot of women come to me with is that they're like I don't understand. I I know what healthy eating is, like I just don't get why I can't do it and they feel like a failure that they have to reach out for help. But actually reaching out for help is such a sign of strength. It shows that you are willing to commit to yourself and that you're willing to look for someone else for guidance, to get a different perspective asking for help is so not a sign of failure. It's actually such a sign of you wanting to up level in your life. I mean, therapists see therapists just because I'm a health coach doesn't mean I don't see other health practitioners. So it is totally. so great to be able to get another person's perspective, a fresh eye because we're just so stuck in the day to day. It's so hard for us to see the bird's eye view of our habits, our behaviors. And so often we can get stuck on, oh, it's just because, you know, every night I feel like I'm overeating and I don't get it. Like, why am I, why am I overeating? I have a willpower problem. This happens a lot. Women like, oh, (laughs) I'm eating every night. I don't understand. Like after dinner, I eat the whole kitchen cabinet. And then we macro look out and I ask them to, you know, I review some of their food, I review some of their intake and whatnot and their mindset, their overall environment. And I see, hmm, you know what? Well, first of all, you're not eating breakfast and you're skipping and you're thinking intermittent fasting is good for you, but it's messing up your hormones. And then you're having a cortisol spike and then you're stressed out and then you're eating this small lunch. And of course, then you're overeating at night because you're not eating properly during the day, not eating properly balanced food. You're also not prioritizing any other type of self-care. So the only other self-care that you're allowing yourself for is to overeat. And that's the only way that you're getting that dopamine rush. (laughs) So that's just like one little example of how, when you can work with someone else, they can help to see these patterns. And also in some ways, give you the permission and to be able to be like, you're right. I do need to eat more or just give you that support and guidance because We don't need to figure this all out on our own. That's not the point. That's not the point of life. Having community, having educators, having support is what we as social creatures were meant to seek out.
0: Yeah. And my clients have been through trauma and they're working on their resilience. Mm -hmm. And I think that with your clients and my clients, your struggles don't need to become your secret. And so you have clients and they tell you, their struggles. And all of a sudden the fear is lifted because now they have someone else helping them through. And so then they feel more of a can do attitude.
1: Mm -hmm. It
0: can feel a little hopeless when you're struggling and you're not telling anyone and you only see a few solutions, but really there are hundreds of solutions out there and someone else can help you sort through some really good options and really good solutions.
1: Definitely. And I love how you talk about the trauma and also the fear associated with that, because we internalize so much of this. And a big thing that um, people come to me is a lot of like this sneak eating, like they don't want to tell their partner. And so they feel shameful. And so maybe they eat the things that they think are bad, right? Those bad foods, they're eating them in secret. And then guess what, they eat them in secret and you know what happens? They feel even more shame because not only did they eat the quote bad food, but then they also ate it in secret and they feel more shame. And what happens when you feel shame? You want to self-soothe. And when you self-soothe, that can also include more eating and again, It's not that eating equals bad. That's not, of course, at all what I mean. But when we're eating out of shame, out of guilt and not eating foods that make us feel good, we can see how this becomes a pattern that can really lead to self-destructive behaviors and doesn't allow food to bring joy into our lives. I want to help my clients be able to celebrate food and to be able to eat food in a way that feels good. That's exciting. So many women feel like they're at war with food and more with our body. And I want to help women get out of that place.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm a single mom. I don't have a partner. I can eat whatever I want. Also, <laughs> I'm like naturally thin, so I can eat whatever I want. And um, But I really find this relatable mm-hmm. because, um, you know, we're in charge of what we think, say, and do. And I have negative self-talk around other things. Besides food, food Mm -hmm. isn't my focus and struggle, but I um, struggle with other things. And so, you know, I can see how a little bit of unhealthy thinking around food and sneaking, it leads to unhealthy actions and Mm -hmm. then probably some unhealthy self-talk. And it's so much suffering that we can avoid. And so I commend you because you're helping so many people.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely rewarding to help. I know you know this with with your clients and all the people that you are able to help in their journey to be able to have people who come to us who feel like helpless and be able to show them that there really is light at the end of the tunnel and that they just haven't been given the proper resources, because these aren't things, unfortunately, these are things that are not taught in school. These are the things we should be teaching just along, like how to deal with your emotions and how to eat properly. These are things that we should really be learning in school, but they're not prioritized. And so we're really not set up for success. So instead of being ashamed of that, being able to understand that and then look for resources to help us is exactly what we need.
0: hmm Yes. So I'm a mindset and behavior coach, and I focus on resilience, trauma, and emotional regulation, and you are a mindset wellness coach with a focus on holistic nutrition, and I feel like we're two peas in a pod, and (laughs) I was just wondering quickly if you could tell me how you got into this line of work.
1: Yeah, so... I um, was always interested in general health and nutrition. Actually, growing up, my favorite subject in school was biology, and I always was interested in the intersect of the body as well as the impact of you know, nutrition and the environment, but kind of on a more macro scale. And though in high school, I developed an eating disorder and it started from restriction and it honestly wasn't even intentional to start, but then it grew to be a larger issue. Mm-hmm. And with then food became my focus and something that I researched a lot about, but it came honestly from a negative place, really trying to restrict myself to be as small as possible. Mm -hmm. And this continued throughout college as well. But eventually my eating disorder kind of changed into having some behaviors where I was overeating, where I didn't have like a binge eating disorder, but I still felt this kind of feeling of uncontrollability, like being feeling out of control with food to a certain extent, because after restricting myself for so long, my body was honestly just totally out of whack. And so I just felt like, how can I ever get out of this place? And so what I was doing is I was saying, okay, I just need to go back to my old habits. And those were the severe restrictive habits that really, um, that mindset of just eating as little as possible. And so, of course, what happened is I would restrict for a bit and then overeat, and the cycle would continue, and my body was just really wreaking havoc. My hormones were all um, totally imbalanced, and I just was really not at an optimal place in terms of health. And I knew that there had to be a better way, and I was so reluctant um, to seeking for help, honestly. Cause I was like, I don't get it. Like I had been doing all the study about nutrition, the reading of the, this and the, that. And I was like, I should know I should be able to help myself. And I was, as I said, so resistant, but then I eventually actually reached out to a holistic practitioner who Uh, specialized in naturopathic medicine and nutrition, and she truly helped to totally reframe my mindset around food and how I should um, properly nourish myself. And from there, I became so inspired to really start to learn more about holistic health from a totally different perspective. So I went back to study and got multiple nutrition certifications, um, specifically in functional nutrition and holistic nutrition, even in exercise nutrition, so that I can help on a range of clients. And from there, I opened my own practice. And I was at the time when I opened my own practice, I was actually still working in the natural food space. I was in a job where I was actually visiting farms across the country to be able to source produce for the company that I was working for. So I had a great understanding of the agricultural system of food of the restaurant world. And that really helped me in general for my understanding of food on a granular level. But between that and my studies with nutrition and just my own personal experience, it really helped me to connect with clients from the beginning. And though since um, I obviously, like, this is my full-time thing. I'm very lucky that I have been able to put myself out there and really be able to attract amazing clients, grow my practice, and be able to help women all over the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that is such an inspiring story. You know, it, and it reminded me that all of us struggle, often struggle with food at one point or another. When Mm -hmm. I was in high school and I turned 16, I started overworking a lot, waitressing a lot. And I got anxious about life after high school and going off to college and my anxiety, I turned it into obsessing about food. And Mm -hmm. I did lose significant weight. I was in cheerleading and soccer and pushing myself. And I would say, Total habits of anorexia. You know, I never had to go to treatment or anything. When I went to college, I definitely gained the college, what is it, freshman 15. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For some reason, that cured me. But for like a good two years, I used to get lightheaded, lifeguarding over the summer because I would just drink Diet Coke all day. Like I definitely had issues, you know? And so I think it just reminded me that none of us are immune to having issues with anything. You know, Mm -hmm. we get addicted to things outside of us because we have some unresolved emotions inside of us and whether Mm -hmm. it's substances or controlling food or controlling exercise, none of us are immune to these behaviors. And so- It is wonderful that you're working with people because you've been there and now that I've heard your story, I'm excited to talk to you even more and get your opinion (laughs) about some other things. Um, Later, maybe now, I wanted to talk about um, healthy solutions to common ways that we get dysregulated day in and day out. And I think there are some solutions to do with food that can help us stay even-keeled and regulated. For example... Low blood sugar. I know mm-hmm. that, you know, if my blood sugar goes down, I get hangry, that lethal mix of hungry and angry. <laughs> if I wait too long to eat, or even if I eat like sugar and then I get a crash or drink a latte or caffeine, I crash afterwards. So um, I thought we'd talk about tips for things like that to keep us feeling emotionally regulated and stable throughout the day.
1: I love this question. Um, So first off, something that we need to understand is that we need to have our body feel safe. And when we are not feeding our body at regular intervals, it is not going to feel safe. So one of the things that I talk about from time and time again is that we need to be eating breakfast. I know intermittent fasting has gotten super trendy, but the studies on intermittent fasting and its benefits are primarily for men. For women of childbearing years, this is different if you're a postmenopausal, but of all women of childbearing years, you should not be intermittent fasting. When you wake up in the morning, your cortisol is naturally at its highest. That's a good thing. That's what gets you out of bed. That's what gets you going. But that being said, when you then don't eat, you are further stressing your body out. What happens is that leads to a cortisol rise, which is also correlated to blood sugar. This is going to wreak havoc on your blood sugar then and throughout the day and will therefore affect your hormones as well. Cortisol is just one of many hormones, but it will affect your cortisol and your insulin. And what we want to do is we want to eat in a way that optimizes balancing our blood sugar and our hormones so that we get stable energy so that we can feel our best and so that our body can just run optimally. Mm-hmm. In the past, when we talked about hormones, people just thought it meant talking about fertility and that just gonna be further from the truth, we need to think about hormones in terms of understanding they are chemical messengers in our body. And so it's not just about you know getting your period, right? It's about just honestly, eating to thrive and to feel our best. So what that means is having breakfast within an hour of waking up is something I always recommend and not having coffee before breakfast because that again is just gonna further add like fuel to the fire in terms of that elevated cortisol. So what that would look like would be having breakfast and then having coffee or having a few bites of of food and then drinking your coffee in tandem with your first meal of the day. Actually, I don't
0: even drink coffee anymore. I just do <laughs> like awake tea. I think it's a Tazo tea. Yeah. Know, yummy sweet cream, almond milk creamer. But like, um, I don't know if you know Dr. Huberman, Andrew Huberman. He's out there in San Francisco, I think near you. He's a professor at Stanford, and he mm-hmm. says to wait an hour, even 90 minutes after you wake up to have caffeine.
1: Yes, that is definitely ideal um, to wait like after your first meal of the day or even wait like, you know, 30 minutes, to even an hour after you eat your first meal. However, I do understand that I... When I talk about nutrition, I also don't want to come off too clinical or that people are like, wait, I love my coffee. That's part of my morning ritual. So instead, I try to break this down in a way that seems doable for people and still will lead to results. And so what I say is just don't have coffee first thing in the morning. Have it either with or after your first meal of the day. And also let's focus on not over caffeinating. It's interesting because we know that caffeine and overconsumption of caffeine is a lot of times promoted in these like diet culture communities you know don't eat have caffeine that's going to yeah. curb your your curb your hunger but what we find time and time again is while it may temporarily curb your hunger what happens is you end up overeating later in the day and having excess caffeine leads to a cortisol increase and cortisol increase is gener- is also associated with higher belly fat percentage and belly fat storage. And while belly fat is not obviously like the only thing in terms of health, it also can lead to extra sugar craving. So I actually noticed I was overconsuming coffee a bit ago and I now only have a cup a day. Um, sometimes too depending on the day, but definitely no more than that and generally just one cup. And My sugar cravings went down significantly when I actually started to have less caffeine because the the having excess caffeine can definitely lead to a hormonal imbalance as well. And everyone has different sensitivities to caffeine. So this is something that you can work with someone um, to navigate with or just experiment with yourself. But if you are drinking coffee or drinking those pre-workouts or those you know, energy drinks, whatever it is, instead of eating, that's a big red flag. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely.
0: Um, Because we want to feel strong and calm. Mm -hmm. and feel good and so much of that can be just little changes you know eating breakfast like you said and we don't have to be rigid and set a timer for 60 minutes after we wake up before we have our caffeine
1: exactly
0: we can can have our cake and eat it too whatever but you know um we just want to be feeling good in the face of daily challenges and stressors and I do feel like nutrition has
1: a lot to do with that Mm hmm yes definitely um, being able to, as we as talked about, like eating at regular intervals, as well as there are certain foods that we can eat that can help overall with inflammation and help to prepare our body for stress as well. Mm-hmm. I always try
0: to eat a little fat and protein. Um, mm-hmm. nuts. I think, um, I'm a type O blood type, and I kind of believe in the blood type diet. Like I believe that I'm supposed to be a meat eater <laughs> <laughs> because I like to eat meat, and it helps. It helps me give me energy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, and so I think along the lines of that black and white thinking, you probably encourage clients not to look at certain foods as good and certain as bad, unless you know, you're not feeling well, then maybe you have a peanut allergy and maybe that should be
1: on the back of <laughs> list or something. Totally. And I love that you talked about how certain foods make you feel your best. And that's so important. We so often just look at other people and see their body and say, okay, I should eat what they eat. And Even if you ate the same thing as that person, your body's not going to look the same. So we need to focus on what foods make us feel our best. And also maybe challenge some preconceived notions that we had about food because of maybe something that we've been conditioned to because of diet culture, because our mom said it, because our friends said it, because our partner said it, we need to go through this journey and really question our own beliefs and our intentions. A little story that I'll say about this is for so long, I told myself that I didn't like salad dressing and that I didn't like egg yolks because they were high in fat. And for so long, I literally convinced myself that I didn't like these things. But (laughs) I then, when I realized like, I freaking love egg yolks and I do like salad dressing. I don't like all salad dressings, but I do, I do like it. And it was these ideas that I had in my head because of this restrictive mindset. And this will, you know, ring true to different people with different food items, or just maybe different ways of eating. But questioning and uncovering those beliefs is a great part of the journey. And it doesn't have to be all at once. It's just slowly while you're going through, you know, your daily routines, your daily eating, thinking, why do I do these things? And out of curiosity. We're not talking about judgment. We're not talking about having blame or shame, but out of curiosity, understanding your behaviors and how you could potentially improve them. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, totally. I agree. Just be curious. You don't need to judge yourself or punish Mm -hmm. yourself. Just be curious. And um, we can talk about this later, but I also think Just what you have lying around influences what you eat. So I had peanut butter cookies lying around that my kids made with their grandma. And all of a sudden, I'm eating peanut butter cookies. And I do have like a slight peanut allergy, like my throat hurts. (laughs) Like I'm eating these cookies. Like what am I doing? And so, you know, I think that if you're listening at home, (laughs) maybe you're not going to eat something you're allergic to like me. (laughs) But um, You know, if you're trying to get off of coffee and replace it with tea, maybe make yourself a beautiful little tea area with your electric kettle or your coffee pot and a cool little basket of teas. Do something like that. Don't let the coffee lie around next to the peanut butter cookies. It's just an <laughs> idea I had. <have>. So. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I love I love that. And also, though, I love how you bring it up, and it's it's about like. Yeah, it's okay to also have reasons for not eating foods, but we just need to be honest with ourselves and why those reasons are. Having a slight peanut butter allergy and not eating peanuts, probably a good idea. Um, However, if you're just convincing yourself of something, then your underlying, you know, subconscious is still going to be gnawing at you and still wanting that thing. So just as I said, being honest with yourself, getting curious, there is not a right or wrong answer and reminding yourself, this is a journey. There's not a set destination. As corny as that sounds, it really is so true.
0: Mm-hmm. Another way we make ourselves vulnerable to becoming dysregulated throughout the day is by getting a bad night's sleep. And I don't think I need to elaborate. We all know what a good night's sleep feels like and what a bad night's sleep feels like. One way I ensure good night's sleep is by avoiding alcohol and caffeine after lunch for the rest of the night. And I'm not a big drinker. Um, I only drink if I go out. I don't have it around the house. And I rarely go out. And when I do go out, (laughs) I rarely drink. So (laughs) it's not not an issue for me. I would probably make a decent day drinker, you know, like (laughs) with brunch. But I'm just, I mean, I live in Colorado in the middle of nowhere. So I'm not in San Francisco with lots of brunch. Um, So what do you think about having a good night's sleep? What are some tips that you might have?
1: Yeah. I absolutely love this question because it is essential for your body to get seven to nine hours of sleep. And I find people feel guilty about getting nine hours, but some bodies honestly thrive at getting more sleep. And instead of saying like, well, she gets seven hours and she's doing just fine or she gets five hours. Like, no, (laughs) we still need to understand our own circadian rhythms and get in touch with our body and do what is best and what feels best for us. So sleep hygiene is very important. When we overall go to bed at similar time and wake up at similar time, that will help to support a natural circadian rhythm, which will, which is our sleep-wake cycle. And while yes, you may get the same amount of sleep from day to day, if you're not actually going to bed and waking up at similar times, and now I'm not saying it has to be the exact same time, but at least similar times, what this happens is it helps you get a more restful sleep. But it also helps you to be, you know, more alert during the day because your body is understanding of okay, this is the time I should be up and okay, this is the time I'm supposed to go to bed. So it'll be easier for you to fall asleep and easier for you to wake up, easier for you to get that restful sleep. In addition to that, definitely um, na- definitely not having caffeine after 2 p.m. Some people who are more sensitive to caffeine, no caffeine after noon. Um, and that's like noon, I get to 12. (laughs) And when I just said afternoon, I don't want to confuse there. Um, Another thing that's really helpful is to also limit screens two hours before bed, that blue light, we've heard about it is definitely very detrimental to our melatonin production. That is like the famous sleep hormone. So eliminating that exposure as much as possible. Some people have success with blue light glasses. I will say there are a lot of blue blocker glasses out there that aren't actually effective. So it's good to get a high quality glasses and they can be helpful um, for some people, but just in general, a limiting screen time. And then also something that I love to do is at night, a brain dump, a brain dump of everything that is on my mind before I go to bed can be so honestly like stress relieving because when we go to bed, our mind starts racing of a million things. I have to do this, that, that, whatever. So instead of getting there, first going and brain dumping like some things, maybe that's some just sh- to do's for tomorrow or just some things on your mind so you can feel semi-accomplished in that way and know that you have them on paper so that you can address them in the morning can be really helpful. And creating a general overall routine when you go to bed, we're very, we're generally much better creating morning routines because we're forced to. We have to wake up in the morning. We have to go and do X, Y, or Z for work or for our family or whatever it is. However, at night, that's when I notice for honestly me, um, from experience as well as my clients, that can be the most difficult time to really stick with our habits. So having a set time when you turn off your phone a set time when you're going to bed, like really parenting yourself here and committing to that will be extremely helpful for you to be able to signal to your brain that it is time to go to bed. Because again, you want not just your conscious, but your subconscious mind to know, okay, it's time to unwind. It's time to get ready for bed. And a final thing I highly, highly recommend is to have, um, fully blackout shades, and or an eye mask. So when we get exposure to that light, it is going to wake us up. So in order to have the best chance of us getting that high quality sleep and getting that REM sleep, we want to make sure that we are not getting light exposure. And one tip I will say is with the eye masks, make sure that they are the cupped eye masks that aren't laying flat on your eyelids. That is because if you, I know like I have like a really cute silk um, eye mask that a friend got to me, got, gave me for my bachelorette. And while it's super cute, it lays flat on my eyelids and I don't use it because what happens is, is that will affect your REM sleep, which is your rapid eye movement sleep. Oh and wow. Yeah, and so what it can do is it can affect that and not allow you to like reach that state of sleep and as a result you might not get that same deep sleep. I know a lot of people don't know that. When I say that like, "Wait, I had no idea." and you can get really cheap cupped eye masks. They they literally look like little training bras because they're like little cups and they're little. They're small. Um, but those are the types of eye masks that you, you kind of look like a bug when you wear them. I'm not saying they're the cutest thing in the world, but if you are getting an eye mask, I highly recommend looking for those.
0: If I got one of those, it would be on my seven-year-old daughter's American Girl doll as like a bra in no time, I like swear. <laughs> Exactly,
1: exactly. It's, you know
0: what? It's a two for one deal then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, honey, it's time for mommy to go to bed.
1: Give me the doll bra. <laughs> Give me, exactly. The training bra comes off the American Girl doll now.
0: <laughs> so, when we talk about sleep hygiene for everyone listening, we're talking about making sure your bedroom is cool and dark. And quiet. Basically, sleep hygiene is anything that helps you put yourself in the best position to sleep well every night. Exactly. And Casey did a great job of explaining that and talking about evening routine. Um, I loved what you said about dumping before you go to bed. So, thought dumping, I think you called it. Um, writing down your to-do list, and you can place that somewhere important for the next day. And then you can also write down your complaints about the day. Um, I'm mentioning this because I think I tell people a lot of times to make a gratitude list and focus on what they're grateful for. And that's part of my morning routine is a little gratitude routine that I do. But I think sometimes we need to dump out what's not serving us to make room for actual um, authentic gratitude. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes you can write down some complaints or wish you would have done something differently. Write it down and then you can throw it away. You know, you don't have to have an elaborate journal, but I would maybe recommend that. And then also making a list of things you're grateful for. But feel free to dump out some thoughts that are, aren't serving you anymore.
1: Yes, exactly. Like while expressing gratitude is something so important and something that I like my clients to focus on as well, we also should not negate the fact that we're not supposed to just suppress our emotions. Yes, it's so great to focus on the positives in our lives but we shouldn't also just suppress the other emotions and think, okay, I'm not allowed to be sad. I'm not allowed to think about the other things. So this can allow us to address them because it's not about not thinking about them. It's about acknowledging these thoughts that we have, these potentially negative thoughts these we have, these fears, these stressors, et cetera, and allowing space to process them so that we can move forward. Not not suppressing them, not ignoring them, allowing space, processing and being able to, from there, move on.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I believe feeling is healing. So if you need to listen to a sad song and write down some things and feel it, that's great. Because it's going to make you feel lighter and more open to what's next rather than staying stuck in those feelings. Then you're not really open to moving forward. And that was actually my last, my next question, and we already talked about it, is that another way we do dysregulate ourselves is by overthinking. Um, So Casey, I don't know if you have a personal example of how you handle overthinking when it bubbles up for you so that it doesn't derail you.
1: Yeah, so for me, overthinking a lot of times Allows for an opportunity for me to reflect inward. So, when we overthink, we're basically trying to distract ourselves a lot of the time from actually diving deeper. So, why are we overthinking about this thing specifically? Usually, it's a reflection of some insecurity that is going on or something else in our life that we want to overthink in one space so that we don't have to think about another. So something that I can overthink about sometimes, um, something that came up with me a few months ago was overthinking about a comment that I said with a certain group of people that I had not seen in a while. And I noticed that it was related to an insecurity of me with that group of people because I hadn't seen them in a while, because they live a different lifestyle than me. And as a result, I was letting my certain insecurity um, about me not feeling like a sense of belonging, allow me to overthink everything that I was saying around them. And so instead of further stressing out about it, like, yes, I stressed out about a very silly comment that I made that no one thought anything about. I was allowing myself to literally stay up at night this one night because of this like one comment that I made. And what I notice though, is what's most helpful for me is to journal and then to journal so that I can reflect inward. And then once I've processed things a little bit more, then talk to someone that I trust. So my husband is someone who is really great to speak to. I have some really great friends, my family members, and being able to make sure that you have a community, but also understanding that not everything is meant for everyone. And so having different people in your life, whether it's a coach, I also have a mindset coach that I work with, so that can be really helpful. So I go to different people for different things and understanding that that's okay. There's different people with different strengths and different weaknesses, but what I do find that people can um, skip the step of is they may go straight to other people. And I do think there's a lot of value and I found personally, there's a lot of value with first sitting with it myself and journaling and maybe going on a walk without any music, without a podcast, even though this podcast is great. <laughs> but <being laughs> if you're a, on a
0: walk, no offense. Yeah, walk, no, we love
1: it. <laughs> you're taking great time for yourself. But being able to have some time to process on my own before I just invite everyone else's opinions in. Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: All right. Mm-hmm. Another thing that makes us feel overwhelmed is overcommitting and flimsy boundaries. How do you maintain healthy boundaries so that you're not feeling overextended or resentful?
1: I absolutely love this question because this is something that I've had to work on, not just in my personal life, but also in my professional life. As a coach, uh, and especially with private coaching, I give my clients access, messaging access to me. However, that in the beginning, I've equated my success as a coach and whether or not I was being a good coach by responding to clients like that very second. And that honestly, I realized wasn't good for me, but it also wasn't good for my clients. And so what you have to realize is boundary setting is not just a benefit for you, but is a benefit for other people around you. And we're so scared of setting boundaries because we have this fear of not Being liked, but we're training those people to expect those things from them from us. So, for example, with my clients, when I was responding right away, I wasn't allowing for them to also create the space to learn the essential tools to also help to process what's going on on their own. So, of course, I am still there to absolutely answer their questions, to provide them support, to provide them guidance. But in the beginning, if they thought that they were going to get a response right away all the time, then they weren't necessarily thinking about the essential questions that they needed to think about themselves. And with people in my life, I noticed that I was saying yes to so many things, so many events. And you know what? I was being drained. And when I was being drained, I wasn't showing up as the same fun, exuberant Casey that I'd normally show up as. So you need to think about your boundaries in terms of protecting them how it's actually going to benefit the people that you are with as a result. And also, if you are able to, have those conversations with those people. One, t- one such boundary that I had a conversation with was honestly my mom. Um, years ago, when I was particularly struggling with my body and really trying to figure out things on my own, I asked her to not make comments um, on my body or on my food. And she wasn't doing anything malicious. It wasn't like any really intense comments. I've heard a lot of people with mothers who um, have a lot more diet culture and those types of uh, messaging, that type of messaging really, you know, very present in their household. And I'm very lucky to have not grown up with that to that extent. But I still noticed that any comment that she made about my body or about my food was really triggering That wasn't her intention. She didn't mean anything by it. But having that conversation with her actually helped our relationship so much. She had no idea. And we're not necessarily giving people the benefit that they deserve to have those conversations with them. This isn't possible, I understand, with everyone. But with people that you really love, that you are able to have those conversations with, hopefully this inspires you to have those conversations because, if you're holding resentment towards them, that's not benefiting you or them or the relationship. Yes. Healthy boundaries make everyone feel good mm-hmm. because they
0: give everybody clarity.
1: Mhm. Mhm.
0: And just like you said a while ago, you made a party or you made a comment at the party with some people and then You had to process it on your own. And I I think that's important because nowadays we can get on the phone. We can start texting people. When you're in high school or college, you have so many peers. You can bounce ideas off. And maybe you don't need to bounce your experiences and ideas off of 10, 12 people. Sometimes you just need to process your emotions because those 10, 12 people that you're talking to, they weren't with you at the party when you were feeling anxiety, you know, this is it's not about them. And just, <laughs> so I think that's really important. Um when you have a good sense of self, then you can set some healthy boundaries and then you maintain that feeling and of who you are. And you're not just bouncing around all over the place.
1: Yeah. And I love how you say that because it's so easy to be like, oh shoot and like text that person right away and then and then when you that person doesn't say what you want to want you, what you want to hear you then text another person or then you check on social media for this and that and we're just constantly searching outwardly versus actually looking internally and processing internally to really be able to improve our own narrative with ourselves.
0: Mhm. Definitely. One way that we can settle ourselves down and process <laughs> things is breathing and that was my next question. I feel like breathing is an important way to feel calm and healthy and stable. And I was wondering if you have any go-to breathing practices that help you refocus and regroup when you're stressed.
1: Yes. So I actually have been doing a December wellness challenge, which is not really a challenge challenge. It's just a calendar where every day I um, published on my Instagram of a new type of Thing to add into your routine. And so yesterday was actually the Weimhoff breathing, which is the Iceman breathing. I said that was like the challenge for the day. I absolutely love that in terms of for focus, for energy, for clarity, and for centering myself. I also love boxed breathing. I find that can be really helpful and really grounding. And something that I will tell my clients to remind them of is the way you breathe has different effects on your body. So If you are trying to calm down, you want your exhalation to be longer. If you're trying to breathe for more focus and energy, focus on a longer inhalation. So that alone can really help people when they're finding a breathing practice that suits best their needs at that time.
0: Mm. I love that advice. And I totally agree. When you want to energize yourself take take some deep breaths in and when you want to calm yourself make sure those exhalations are longer than your inhalations and you have nice long exhalations exactly well I think that's all of my questions for today I so appreciate this interview
1: yeah this has been so great to be on like such thoughtful questions and clearly values aligned and how we're focusing on mindset and holistic human. And uh, it was just such a great conversation.
0: I had so much fun interviewing Casey. And Casey, I'm sure you've listened to this entire episode now that it's published here on the Dissolving Fear podcast, and I just want to tell you thank you for being on the podcast, and also I wanted to let you know that I fully support your decision to enjoy salad dressing and egg yolks for the rest of your life, because that is some good stuff. I dip everything in ranch dressing, and I make amazing deviled eggs. So, next time I'm in San Francisco, I'll make some for you. It's not every day that I'm able to confess to a nutrition coach like you, like Casey, that I do eat peanut butter cookies, even though I'm allergic. But in general, when we know better, we do better. So, thank you, Casey, for sharing tips and best practices when it comes to feeling balanced, healthy, and whole. I'm your host, Miss Alyssa. I hope you all have an amazing week and I'll be back here for more of the Dissolving Fear podcast on next Monday.